This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. If you have ever taken a stroll through your neighborhood or driven around, perhaps you've noticed certain signs in people's yards. There's one sign that stands out. This sign says, in this house we believe. And there are a list of things on the sign. And they're saying in this house, these are the things that we stand for. These are the things that we uphold. And one of those things says, in this house we believe love is love. And what that means is you are free to love anyone you want. Specifically as it pertains to those of the same sex as you. Love is love. But the question we must ask is, is that true? Is morality something that we can decide on our own? Is morality subjective? Or is it objective where there's a a standard that's outside of us? Well, here at Alliance Bible Church, we believe in the authority, infallibility, inspired word of God. And that is what we stand on. (laughs) And so we must go to the very scriptures to see what God says. Throughout the Old Testament, you'll see, thus saith the Lord. So what does God say in regards to sexuality? And I want to look at this from three aspects. The foundation, the distortion, and the redemption. The foundation, the distortion, the redemption. Let's first look at the foundation. We must start in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 1, we see in the beginning, God Now, that's a whole nother sermon or sermon series just to speak on that. But I'll give you a a brief snippet. (laughs) That God existed before the world was even created. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, independent of everyone and anything else, not needing anyone or anything, Completely joyful. 
in fellowship with one another and free. This God created the heavens and the earth. And so after this God created the heavens and the earth, light and day, plants and trees, all the animals, we see something interesting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God makes mankind. And what's unique about humanity is that they are made in the image of God. The animals were not made in God's image. The trees and the plants, the sea, those things were not made in the image of God. So humanity has a distinct and unique feature that nothing else has. And that's why you as a human being has worth and value. Because you're created in the very image of the creator. And so what does it mean to be created in God's image? I think the text actually alludes to that. When he says, let them have dominion over the earth. Adam was supposed to rule over the animals. He was higher than the animals. He's supposed to rule over them, take care of the earth. And that's how he exercises his dominion. But notice that when God creates man, that's specifically male and female. Both male and female are created in the very image of God. That means that both male and females are equal in the eyes of God. Equal status. Men are not superior than females. And what this also shows us is that gender comes from God. There are only two categories when it comes to pronouns. There are only two genders. Male and female. And so make sure that you are getting your truth from, the God, from God's word. Not from what the government says. Nothing about Mr. Potato Head. 
but from God's word. And on top of having dominion, having male and female, they were to procreate. That is to have kids. They were to be fruitful and multiply. And then Genesis 2 actually fills in some more details for us. Because after God created man, specifically Adam, there was no helper found suitable for Adam. Why is that? Because the animals are not like human beings. Doesn't work. And so God said that it's not good for man to be alone. And so in chapter 2, verse 21, it says this. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God creates a woman out of Adam. That's remarkable. The very creator God creates Adam out of the dust of the earth, and then he creates a woman out of Adam's side. Showing again the equality, the status of men and women. Equal in the eyes of God, yet distinct in their roles. Eve was a helper to Adam. And so we derive our understanding of sexuality, of marriage, from God's word, from a passage like this. To say that marriage is supposed to be a union between one man and one woman. And so anything other than that fails to picture the very institute that God created. You know, some people, when it comes to homosexuality, will say things like, Jesus was silent on the issue of homosexuality. Therefore, it's okay. Therefore, it's something that people can pursue. But you know what I think is interesting? Well, first, I think it's wrong. Uh, Secondly, I think a good place is in the Gospel of Matthew. There in that chapter, it's in the context of divorce. And Jesus is speaking to the Jews who are saying, basically, it's okay to divorce. And what does Jesus turn to? He actually turns to this passage in Genesis. 
to speak about marriage that was instituted during creation to set forth what marriage is supposed to be like. One man and one woman. And Jesus even quotes this passage saying that, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man tear apart or separate. Jesus upholds what marriage is supposed to be like throughout the scriptures. And so does it even matter? Aren't you still allowed to just love whoever you want? Perhaps there are times where people say things like, the Bible's old. It's outdated. It's irrelevant. Or we have misunderstood what was meant by the terms in the Bible. I think a lot of it comes down to two things. The authority of God's word and the sufficiency of God's word. That is that God's word has the final authority on everything. And sufficiency is, is God's word enough for you? Is God's word enough for you? And so after God created the heavens and the earth, Adam and Eve, everything was good. In fact, after he created Adam and Eve, everything was very good. But then we get into chapter 3. And this is where we see the distortion. There's a serpent that comes into the garden. And from that very moment, we should have known or Adam should have known that he was supposed to actually have dominion over the animals. The serpent, the devil, comes in and deceives Eve. They eat of the fruit of the tree that they were not supposed to. And as a result, everything becomes distorted. You know, what's interesting, too, is that it's at that moment where Adam and Eve realized that they were both naked. There was a sense of shame. And so they try to cover up themselves, but that was insufficient. And so what does God think about Rebellion and wickedness and evil and sin. Well, Romans 1 tells us. Let's read Romans 1, starting in verse 18. Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God... It's even hard to read that. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness 
and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Men are ungodly and unrighteous Because of the fall, every single being, human being, is a sinner, stands guilty before God. And so God, being a just and good God, must punish sin. You know, there is no wickedness in God. God is pure light. And we can't even fathom what that's like. And so God must punish sin. His wrath is on those who are disobedient to him. And God has been clearly seen. How so? When you look at creation, it implies that there's a creator. There's someone who made it. It didn't just bang and come together. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Men's hearts were darkened. And just notice the correlation here with creation in Genesis 1. Right? They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That's Genesis 1 language. Creation. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. What's the reason? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. See, it's actually a heart issue. It's a matter of worship. Instead of worshiping the creator who deserves praise, they worship and bow down to the creature, to creation. That's the heart of idolatry. It's worshiping created things rather than the creator. And so what's the result? We actually see this three times in this passage. One aspect of God's judgment on humanity 
is that he actually hands people over to their sin. God hands people over to their sin. That is, if you want to indulge in your sinful passions, God gives you what you want. That has become your God. The very thing that rules your heart, your desires, your passions. God gives them up to those things. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Romans 1 is one of the clearest passages of Scripture that deals with the issue of homosexuality. How so? Well, again, there's a correlation here with creation, I believe. Because in verse 26, it talks about natural relations. What does Paul mean by natural relations? He's saying that By nature, it is natural for a man to be with a woman. And I'm not trying to be crass here, but a man and a woman fit naturally. And so Paul is saying that women are exchanging the natural relationship with those that are contrary to nature. He further explains with the men. The men are committing shameless acts with men. Again, notice the Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 language here. Shameless acts. When Adam and Eve got married, they were naked and felt no shame. Once they sinned against God, they realized that they were naked and felt shame. Paul says that they were consumed with passions for one another. And so it's actually a matter of not just actions, but the heart. It's a heart issue. Verse 29, 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. It's interesting that it's a failure to acknowledge God. It's a failure to acknowledge God, to worship him and him alone. And so he gives them up. What ought not to be done. I think that's interesting because this goes back to our understanding of morality or truth. 
Today you'll hear, well, it's right for me. It's, it's good for me. I can do what I want. I am basically Lord of my life. But there is an oughtness. What do I mean by that? As Paul mentions here, what ought not to be done, that means that there is a standard, an objective standard outside of humanity. Right? It's not based on you. It's not based on me. It's not based on the majority of people. It's not based on the government. It's based on God. And God alone. Verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. There's a plethora of sin here. And so it's not just homosexuality. Verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. I think we see a lot of the approval in the world today where people celebrate, people rejoice over what is contrary to God and his word. Because in that way, we're being more inclusive. We want to be more tolerant, so we have to allow people to live how they want to live. Sadly, churches are failing at this. Churches are craving to include everyone in anything. Churches are caving into the culture. And who knows, perhaps there might be some persecution for Christians, for our church. But will we stand on God's word? Will we stand on the truth of the word of God? But what about you? Maybe you identify as a homosexual and you're hearing this message and you think it's all the same, that Christians are judgmental, Christians are intolerant, that perhaps that I have misunderstood what Paul meant by in this passage. And sadly, the truth is that there are Christians who have been very judgmental, have been very condemning, and have treated homosexuality as the unforgivable sin. I think there's a temptation for for Christians to rightly 
say that homosexuality is a sin, yet on the other hand are indulging in sexual perversion themselves. There is a plethora of sexual perversions and distortions that we see throughout the scriptures. Sexual immorality. Having more than one husband or more than one wife. Or having more than one boyfriend or more than one girlfriend. Or if you are in a dating relationship, thinking how far can we go? Rather, perhaps you should be thinking, how can I honor God in this relationship? It's not how far you can go, or what boundaries we could kind of tiptoe towards. But to remembering that, one, if you're a Christian, you only date a Christian. And two, that she is your sister in Christ. That he is your brother in Christ. How do you treat your brothers and sisters in your family by blood? Would you be doing the same things that you do with your boyfriend or girlfriend? with your brother or sister in your family? Are you sleeping with your fiancé? Are you indulging in pornography? And let's remember that it's a matter of the heart. Because perhaps we might be thinking, you know what? I'm in a heterosexual, monogamous marriage. One husband, one wife. But do you lust after other people? Do you have a, a strong desire and passion to be with another person? Perhaps another man's wife. Or another Wife, another lady's husband. All of these things are sinful in the eyes of God. And we must remember that. And here's the big problem. As Paul mentions in verse 32, those who practice such things deserve to die. That means that all of humanity deserves to die. Because we have rebelled against the Creator. We say, man, we're in big trouble. We're in huge trouble if we have sinned and offended a holy and righteous and perfect God, where is the hope? Oh, there's redemption. 
thank God Almighty, there is redemption. And Titus chapter 3 gives us this, this picture of redemption. Paul actually reminds Titus of who we were. That's past tense. Verse 3, for we, Titus 3, 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is a picture of Christians before knowing Christ. And perhaps you've been defined by your sexual sin in the past. Perhaps that's something that has been weighing you down. And there's a big sense of guilt and shame because of what you have done in the past and perhaps what you continue to do and struggle with. And perhaps you're a Christian who struggles with same-sex attraction and you feel the weight of it and you have no idea what to do you feel defined by your sexuality, perhaps even trying to find your identity in your sexuality. Oh, the words of Scripture. Listen to this. Verse 4. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Although the first Adam rebelled against God, realized he was naked, felt shame, there was a new Adam, one who never disobeyed God's word, one who never rebelled against God, one who kept his law perfectly. And although he was innocent, he was deemed a criminal. He was led to a cross where he was stripped of his garments. Basically naked before a whole bunch of people. And on the cross, he bore all our shame. All of our guilt. He bore the wrath of his father for all of our sexual sin. All of our sexual perversions and thoughts, he bore it on himself. And then he died 
And he buried every single one of your sexual thoughts and sins in the grave. And he rose from the dead, victorious over sin, victorious over the grave. And now, now your identity is in him. Now you've been clothed with something new. Now you've been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. So there's no more shame for you. No more shame. Because you've been washed by the blood of Christ. You have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And if you're not a Christian, the word of God says, come to this Savior you who are thirsty, who are hungry for relationship, you who are seeking this in everything that's contrary to God and his word, the Savior says, come, because there is a fountain of grace to wash you of your sin, to cleanse you, and to adopt you into his family. So brothers and sisters, if you have kids who are homosexual, bisexual, and you're having a difficult time wondering how in the world am I supposed to love my child in the midst of this, or if you yourselves are, are struggling with this, I encourage you, if you're in Christ, remind yourself of the glories of Jesus. That your identity is not in your sexuality, but your identity is in Christ and in Christ alone. And church, let's come alongside those who are struggling with this. Not in a condemning nature, but one that opens up our home to them. Walks with them through the scriptures points them to Christ and the beauty and glory and grace of our Savior. Let's pray. Father, you are so patient and kind to your people. We thank you, Lord, for the blood of Christ that was shed for us to make us a new people, a people who are changed, who are different, and that when we still struggle, we can come to you because you will never turn us away from you. So I pray, Lord, that you would truly help us to kill our sin by the power of your spirit. God, you are faithful, and we know that you will continue to draw us closer to your son. And we pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.
You know, when Adam and Eve sinned and they realized that they were naked, they actually sewed fig leaves together to cover or attempt to cover their sin. But that actually wasn't enough. And you know what God did? He killed an animal to clothe them, to cover over their sin. And that there would be a future lamb, a perfect lamb of God, who would be sacrificed to cleanse Christians from their sins. And so Christ our Savior on the cross bled and died to wash away all of your sins. And so he provides this glorious meal for you. The bread symbolizing his body that was broken for you, Christian. It's not because of how good you were this past week or how often you failed, but it's because of Christ. And for this reason, we partake together. And then on the cross, Jesus bled to wash away all of your sin, every single one. And so when we drink this, be reminded that you are made new because of the blood of Christ. Let's drink. Father, we give you thanks. For you are good. And we thank you, Lord, for the blood and sacrifice of our perfect Savior who washes us clean. May we today and the rest of this week be reminded of that glorious truth. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.